Hi, everyone. I have a very special announcement to make to the Behind Her Empire community today. Starting this week, I'm launching a brand new health series called Hormone Happy Hour with Kea Perowit, my dear co-host on the series and my co-founder in Bia Wellness. And every Wednesday, Hormone Happy Hour will feature an in-depth interview with a leading women's health expert. Each expert will teach you step-by-step how to eat, think, and move in a way that's designed to help you feel great and create an abundance of energy in your life so you can go out there and build your empire. I can't wait to hear what you think, and I'm so excited for you to listen to our first episode. I hope you enjoy it. And I'll say this in in my practice and in my experience with women, one of my goals with them is to actually get them to eat more because I get women who have been eating 1100 calories for four decades and they're wondering why they're gaining weight and the things why initially, you know, was an adaptive response. They lost the weight, they were feeling better, and then they've just done it for so long that now it's become a maladaptive. Welcome to Hormone Happy Hour. We are your hosts, Yasmin and Kea. And in 2012, we started a company called Bia that's dedicated to empowering women to take control of their health and to really understand their hormones. And in the process, we've learned so much from different experts in the space, and we cannot keep that information to ourselves. So here we are sharing it with the world because everyone deserves healthy and happy hormones. So Yasmin, the show is called Hormone Happy Hour, so we have to know, what are you (laughs) sipping on this morning? Well, I know you know this, but I'm slightly (laughs) obsessed with coffee and caffeine, but I make this drink all the time. I will stick to one espresso, so that's my way of not ODing on caffeine. So I'm drinking basically a homemade espresso ice latte. And what I love about Uh it is that I'll put a collagen, like a grass-fed collagen. I was trying to remember the brand. I think it's, what is it? Ancient by Dr. Axe? Ancient Nutrition. nutrition. That's right. The vanilla. So I'll put it in there with a frother and mix it. And it's like my jam. I love it. I love it so much. (laughs) And is the collagen flavored or is it plain? Yeah, it's it's flavored, vanilla flavor. So I'll I'll put mm-hmm. like half a scoop and it gives me the best kick. Like, honestly, it's gone into a point where I prefer making coffee at home than going out, which was never the case back in the day. So I'm slightly obsessed with this. It might be sharing a lot about it on Hormone Happy Hour over here. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, one thing I'm amazed by is that it doesn't matter the weather, the temperature. You are an yes. iced coffee girl. <laughs> it's true. Kaya, even when I lived in New York, it'd be like, I mean, even right now in LA, it's like raining, it's cold. I am still drinking iced coffee. That's so funny. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, I've definitely gotten more on iced coffee since we've been, since we've known each other and been <laughs> hanging out. So tell me, Kaya, what are you drinking? So I'm really into, I did have my one espresso this morning too, mm-hmm. but I'm, um, I'm now drinking this, I think it's called Betox by Peak, and it's their electrolyte mix, but it has hyaluronic acid, it has a few other things for glowing skin, and I don't know if it's placebo, <laughs> but when I do have it consistently, I do notice really? that my skin is a little more glowing, so... And I love Peak products. I think they're awesome. I love Peak. Yeah, PT. And for people who don't know what it is, I mean, I only love it. I learned it from you and Drew. And it's like so easy to do, right? It's basically like tea crystals that you put with water. Yeah, yeah so fascinating. Yeah, it's so easy. You take a little sachet with you. 
Um, same with these electrolyte mixes, super easy to use, but yeah. yeah. I feel like that we're is, an ad. This is not sponsored. They did not, <laughs> which is actually like them. So yeah, well, you know what? I wanted to ask you because I know that you are super dialed in on your sleep now. That has been something that you've been working on for the past almost two years, I would say. Uh, can you walk us through that a little bit? Like what are what have been the major changes that you've made to, and I, I think you're sleeping pretty good now, is that right? Big time, big time. I never used to sleep. And I know I talk about this um, a bit on my podcast, but like I used to stay up late with work and I think my body is just trained to work at night and maybe only get like five hours of sleep. And at that time, before I met you, before I met Drew, so people who might not know, my husband is Kaya's brother. She's my sister-in-law. They have been in wellness for decades. So I have been learning so much for them. And yeah, sleep has been the biggest um, needle mover for me, but I'm now sleeping. So a couple of changes at work, you know, I'm now sleeping on a more consistent time. Believe it or not, you guys, like I legit will fall asleep by 10 p.m., Old Yasmin, that would never happen in a million years. So I think the consistency actually helps. And um, also, and you can maybe talk about like why this is important, but not really having bright light at night. I remember Drew was mentioning that and he would see that like my energy would kind of, you know, pick up if it was like 10 o'clock, I'm out working, the lights are on and I could just go for another few hours. But I think the light shifts were huge and being okay with sleeping like, Honestly, I thought, you know, we all have this like narrative. We've got to wake up so early and like work. And, you know, obviously, mm -hmm. even in my old jobs, like I had to do that. And now that we're running our own business, it's like I could sleep till six, you know, seven. It doesn't kill me that I'm not up working out at 6 a.m. And, and, you know, doing all these things that you hear. It's like we all just have to honor our body. And I think I finally have come to a place where I'm like, I need to sleep. So, you know, whether that's like a meeting or adjusting my schedule, you know, it's just been game changing for me. So I can go on and on about it, but I'd love to hear like, you know, obviously you've you know, actually you're dialing back in your sleep because you just had yeah. a baby. She's a little over a year, but tell me more about like how you're feeling, how you're doing. I'm sure there's a lot of mothers who are listening that also might resonate. Yeah, well, you know, that's one of the toughest things about sleep advice because we yeah. hear it and truly sleep is probably the most underrated pillar of wellness. I think it's even before nutrition, it's before exercise. If your sleep is off, everything is off. The toughest thing for moms is that a lot of the advice that's given out there is just not applicable to them. Yeah. Um, we can do all the things. We can, you know, limit light exposure at night. We can, you know, turn off our screens, everything. But the baby's probably still waking up a few times a night. So I think that what moms can do is they can do everything else. Really take the time to support their nutrition, meditate when they can, get the baby on a schedule as much as they can, and just know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I'm finally getting my sleep back, but really taking that time, even as much as I wanna just doom scroll at the end of the day, <laughs> Taking that time to like actively relax my nervous system has been super game changing. And to the point of light exposure at night, your body has melatonin receptors everywhere. And so if you have a lot of light coming in, 
it's going to activate cortisol. It's going to make your melatonin go lower. You want your melatonin to be higher at night. So really limiting that light exposure is super key. Yeah, totally. And what I'm excited about these interviews that we're doing, I know this is going to be our first one, but a lot of the women, they're also moms because I know, you know, I kind of talk about my sleep regimen. I don't have kids, but, and we get so many people messaging us like, well, what do you do if you're a mom? So we talk all about this of just, you know, the realities of motherhood or busy lives and how you can incorporate, you know, certain wellness rituals that can actually make a difference. Um, and sometimes it can feel overwhelming. I know at least for me. So I think Kay and I are just so passionate about what are like tactical things you can actually implement, right? So I'm just super pumped about our interviews because I actually think it can be super beneficial and um, really be game changing. And that is the perfect segue into today's guest, Dr. Stephanie Estima. And in this conversation, we talk about a lot. We talk about sex, we talk about exercise, cycle syncing, joy, pleasure, perimenopause. We talk about it all. I love it. And Dr. Stephanie Estima is a dear friend of ours, and I'm just going to read her bio quickly because she's so impressive. She's also the founder of Hello Betty, a community centered around female empowerment through health and business coaching. She is a doctor of chiropractic with a special interest in metabolism, body composition, functional neurology, and female physiology. She also has a podcast called The Host of the Better Podcast with Dr. Stephanie, and she features the world's top voice voices in health and wellness, and we love it. And she's also the creator of her signature female-centric ketogenic protocol, the Estima Diet, where she's helped thousands of women regulate hormones, reduce, ad reduce adiposity, and get off medications. And we're going to talk all about that today as well. And she's also the author of her recent best-selling book, The Betty Body, where she shares her proven strategies to help women jumpstart and calibrate their metabolism, revive their libidos, and elevate their emotional well-being. One of the most mind-blowing things that I've learned from Dr. Stephanie is the difference between the male and female brain. Yeah. She once explained to me that the male brain actually has more serotonin than the female brain, which is why women need more feedback in life. They need feedback from relationships. They need feedback from their friends. They need feedback, more feedback at work. And so um, there's actually profound differences between the male and female brain, and we go into that in this episode. Yeah, and what I love so much about this interview, too, and something I didn't know about this until kind of Stephanie came into our orbit is, you know, how we can optimize our workouts with our cycles, right? Like, it is constantly changing every day. There's sometimes where we feel great and more energized, and sometimes we feel a little less energized. It's like, how can we optimize how we're working out with how we're feeling in our cycle? So that's been super helpful for me, and we get all into that today as well. Another thing we touch on in this episode is perimenopause. And Dr. Estima actually provides a plan for people who are going through perimenopause because it can feel like a huge transition. And she she provides a very realistic perspective of what happens to the body during this time and how we can use lifestyle, diet, and exercise to really make that time in our lives more manageable. So if you are a going through perimenopause, sorry, if you're going through perimenopause or, you know, that is on the horizon, this episode is uh, a must. 
Yes. I think, you know, both of us left this episode feeling just super motivated and inspired from so many different angles, right? From like a spiritual angle, nutritional, mental, joyful. I think this is going to be a really fun, wide ranging interview. So, yeah. So let's get into it. Why is it that women are so much more impacted by stress than men? Oh, this is a good one. Uh, I think that there's a couple of reasons. I think that and we can look at this from a couple of different lenses, right? So when we think about, uh, maybe we'll start like more generally and then we can kind of get really specific into like the metabolical and, and physiological implications. But I think from a cultural perspective, we were actually just talking about this before uh, we started recording, uh, is that I think there's a lot more pressure, uh, let's say, on women to show up a certain way, look a certain way, fall into a certain uh, bucket, let's say. So, um, you know, we have like currently uh, there's a couple of uh, very salient 50-year-olds on, like we have Jennifer Aniston on the cover of a magazine. We have Jennifer Lopez on the cover of another magazine, both in their 50s. They look fabulous. Like both of them look fabulous. Um, And I, and I think actually Nicole Kidman might also be on a, mm. a, 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 a cover as well, all showing their abs, right? All showing like how lean they are. And I think that um, when we think about, okay, well, what constitutes cover worthy? And we look at what's available. So we say, oh, okay, there's, there's some 50-year-olds. That's, first of all, amazing that we have some 50-year-olds on covers. That's, that's, that's progress. Um, and when you look at these women, we see women that have abs, probably have a chef, probably have trainers, probably have, you know, maybe some Botox or some help, like in the plastics department, maybe or maybe not. I don't know. Um, and so we see this, and this becomes like the idea. Like if you're a cover-worthy individual as a woman over 50, like this is kind of what we're looking for. So I think that there's a social uh, or a cultural uh, stress around like the definitive, like what's beauty and what's beautiful. Um, So we have, and I'll say this in in my practice and in my uh, experience with women, one of my goals with them is to actually get them to eat more because Mm -hmm. I get women who have been eating 1100 calories for four decades and they're wondering why they have, you know, like they're, they're gaining weight and the things why initially, you know, was an adaptive response where they had a, you know, they lost the weight, they were feeling better and then they've just done it for so long that now it's become a maladaptive uh, response. And I was, uh, you know, I use the example of Gabor Mate, who talks about this in, in the context of trauma, right? So you have a child, let's say, who is exposed to some adverse childhood event, and maybe they disassociate, right? So they, be, they become numb, they're quiet, what have you. In the moment, it's an adaptive response. But in adulthood, it becomes a maladaptive response. I would argue that the same is true for things like chronic caloric restriction, Mm-hmm. there's going to be an adaptive period where you're going to get a lot of benefit from it. You know, you're going to lose weight. You're going to, you know, you reduce your overall adiposity. Maybe your insulin sensitivity is going to improve. Like hormones are going to, you know, all that's going to improve. And then if you're doing it without a plan and without, and, and without strategy, it becomes maladaptive over time. So 
women have this sort of cultural bucket that they have to adhere to, let's say, or, or, you know, be subject to bias and judgment and, you know, people making silly comments on your Instagram page. We were also talking about that, uh, pre, uh, uh, pre record, yeah. pre recording. And then I would also, uh, and then when we think about some of the chemical and physiological challenges that a woman uh, embarks over the course of her life. So first we have a menstrual cycle, like obviously the most, you know, one of the most obvious distinctions between males and females. So we're different. We have a different hormonal composition over the course of our month. And we do that like for 40 years. So if you are a woman who is trying to white knuckle her way through her menstrual cycle without understanding the ebbs and flows, let's say, of how we have this different hormonal landscape, not only, you know, over the month, but literally week to week and day to day, we are different versus our male counterparts who are kind of like same, 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 right? Like they're sort of the same every kind, like they sort of have a bit more of a steady state where they have a bit more of a, you know, their circuit. I, I always describe men and women like men are like the sun, you know, and women are like the moon, right? So men have this very established circadian mm -hmm. rhythm and they do that day in and day out. And women, we don't necessarily cycle through all of our hormones on a day-to-day -day basis the way that, our, that the guys do. We do it over the course of about 29 and a half days, about the lunar cycle, right? About the, you know, about the length of it takes for a new moon, new moon to new moon. Um, so we have a menstrual cycle and then you throw in complexities or we'll say, uh, demands or stressors like pregnancy. Uh, so getting pregnant, staying pregnant, delivering a baby, mm. uh, a feat unto itself. Uh, and then the, you know, and then it's like, even when you, when you have the baby, you get over, you do the pregnancy, you do the labor, and then you have to raise the child. So it's like, then you have another human around. So then you have the chronic sleep deprivation, the worrying that when the baby's sick at night, you know, um, you're the one more likely if you, you know, assuming that there's a heterosexual relationship, let's say, or maybe you are in a you identify more female, let's say, than your, than your, uh, than your partner, it's more likely that you are going to be the primary caregiver for that child overnight cleaning, you know, that holding the baby when they have nightmares or night terrors or what have you. Uh, and then, you know, I haven't even mentioned breastfeeding again, mm. beautiful gift. Like what a beautiful gift that we have to give to our children and nutritionally depleting you in the, in the process. Right. And then you do that one time, then you do it again because you have a second child. Maybe you have a third child or there's a miscarriage or something like that. And I think the net net, the accumulation of these stressors and demands over the arc of a woman's life. I haven't even gotten to perimenopause and menopause yet, yeah. but this is why we tend to be more stressed, let's say, um, than our male counterparts. Now, the beautiful thing about women is that we do seem to in just in the, you know, your contact, your question was regarding, uh, Peter Atia, who I'm a huge fan of, uh, by the way, and I think he does a really, a lot of great work. What we know about cardiovascular disease in women versus men is that there does seem to be a phasic shift in terms of onset of CBD versus our male counterparts. So we do seem to have, there is a cardioprotective effect that we have in our fertile years under the protective influence of estrogen. So there's like one area where we can kind of raise the roof a little bit and say, yay, you know, like there's, here's, here's a place where we excel. 
However, you know, menopause, where we see a rapid and steady decline of our primary, like these sex hormones, like progesterone, testosterone, and estrogen, this is where we start to see levels of cardiovascular disease. If we're not being careful and we don't have a strategy and a plan, this is where we start to see that incidence start to rapidly rise such that we, we catch up to um, uh, our male counterparts. And it is still the, like the, like we always kind of think of like, what's the big killers in women? And I think a lot of women or a lot of people might default to say something like breast cancer. And the, the answer is no, it's actually cardiovascular disease and, and cardiovascular insults. Um, it is the number one killer for women. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use. We make it effortless effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle, and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A Wellness.com and check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening and now let's get back to today's episode. So you talked about all these different buckets that women go through in terms of stress, right? From a cultural perspective, from just hormonal cycles to postpartum to perimenopause, menopause. At a high level, what are some things that you recommend in terms of how women can build their stress resilience in all these facets of life? Oh, this is a good question. Oh, we're going to spend some time here. Yes, okay, please. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I think that, you know, when we're thinking about optimizing human performance. And in this specific, we're having a conversation around female performance and female optimization. Uh, you are correct to identify that probably the one of the most important things is to get a handle on our stress. So what does that mean? Stress is kind of this like nebulous term. Uh, you know, you sort of have this visual of like someone red in the face or yelling or, you know, really high strung maybe. And I think that, um, it is, it is, you know, I've described some of the big life events like pregnancy and delivery and breastfeeding and taking care of a newborn, but it is really management of the day-to-day -day insults that I think where we can really win uh, at stress management. So for example, um, one of the things that I will often start to unpack with a patient, let's say when they start working with me, there's sort of three different main verticals. So one is like nutrition, right? Their relationship with food, how they're eating, how often they're eating, what they're eating, um, their exercise and their movement. So how they're training, right? So, so many, and I'll say that I was just talking about this. I was, I, I coach healthcare practitioners and I was just on a coaching call with them just prior to uh, our time here. Um, so many women, are, uh, we'll say, prioritizing cardiovascular work over resistance training. And I hope that we'll have some time to kind of unpack why resistance training is so important for women, you know, talking about that cardiovascular, like growing that cardiac, like growing like the, card, the, the, the um, 
cardiac tissue, uh, pericardial tissue, and like the, the skeletal system, like growing uh, and building our lean uh, muscle uh, uh, muscle mass is super important. And then of course, with that, like the musculoskeletal system, where the bones go, so do the, where the muscles go, so the bones go as well. Um, so we have, um, um, so we have these uh, different buckets, like I, I was saying. So we have this movement. Uh, so I like to look at how they're moving. So what is their exercise regimen? We mentioned cardiovascular. A lot of women will prioritize more cardio over resistance training. And then what's your just base level of movement? So the non-exercise activity that you're doing. So this is called NEAT. Uh, we'll look at this as like, what, how many steps are you kind of taking? What are your random sort of movements? So like if you're watching this on, on the YouTube channel, you can kind of see my hands moving around. That's sort of my inner Italian, you know, coming out where like I, you know, I'm talking with my, with my hands. So what are these kind of spontaneous movements that are happening through the day? So is it low level activity? Is it gardening? Is it cleaning up the kitchen, washing the dishes, doing the laundry, all these little kind of movements that we don't necessarily count um, as, as, as cardio or activity. This is actually, in, in my opinion, like sort of like the golden goose, right? Like this is actually where we can make a significant impact on the lives of so many women if we are just naturally improving their need. And then the third bucket uh, to your original question, uh, Yasmin, is around stress management. So I think that all of those things are going to help reduce stress. Like if you're eating, uh, you know, a whole food diet that you can kind of do consistently, if you have a movement program that you can do consistently, these are going to be, uh, uh, these are going to help endow you with a better ability to deal with some of the demands in your life. And then there are specific techniques for stress management. So I am a really big fan of uh, meditation. I think that that's really important. Um, I know um, there's a lot of guests that, you know, maybe uh, you and, uh, you know, your, your group have all spoken to. I know uh, Dr. Mark Hyman is a big fan of uh, them. I've, I've, I'm very good friends with Emily Fletcher, who's the uh, founder of Ziva Meditation. Uh, fabulous, uh, fabulous teacher on meditation as well. Um, and then the other thing that I really like that I've been giving to a lot of, particularly my type A women, uh, is like a type of deep, like non-sleep kind of deep rest. Mm -hmm. Uh, so like a yoga nidra type of, uh, protocol. And honestly, you can just like, there's a couple of YouTube links that I found. I've just like saved on my computer. I'll share them with you if you want to put them in the, in the show notes that I'll literally just give to patients. It's like a 10 minute little thing, like, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon when they're about to go pick up, you know, they're about to pick up the kids. We know that they're starting to get like riled up for all the evening activities and the homework and the soccer and all the things like a 10 minute little reset one or two o'clock in the afternoon, I find is very, very doable. So people can do it over time, which is like kind of a big deal. It's easy. There's a low barrier to entry. Like you don't need a lot of skill to be able to do it. You just literally lie on the couch and like pop on the YouTube video and like listen to it for 10 minutes. Um, and so that, you know, that's going to help with the, with the consistency of the habit as well. What about the role of um, pleasure in day-to-day -day life? Typically, when we think of pleasure, we think of sexual pleasure, which is definitely part of it. But pleasure mm -hmm. is something that I don't think a lot of women think about, but it's actually so beneficial for stress resilience. Yeah, what a great question. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. I think pleasure and joy, these are two um, words that, you know, when a lot of women that are listening to this will say, yeah, like, I know what those words mean. You know, like I get like 
cerebrally, I understand what she's saying. Pleasure and joy. It's like some kind of happiness, right? But we, I don't think that those words are necessarily embodied um, and experienced somatically uh, for many women on a, on a day-to-day basis. So yes, you're right. Sexual pleasure, of course, uh, is very important. I talk about this in my book, uh, The Betty Body, shameless plug from, from my book, The Betty Body. Uh, but I talk about this idea of specifically with sexual pleasure, um, that as a woman, whether or not you have children, whether or not you want children, uh, we have this, uh, we'll say womb space, right? Which is the ultimate creator, right? It creates life, right? So whether you want to create life or you want to give birth to a new business or uh, a new idea, um, accessing the creative uh, prowess uh, of our womb space. And one of the ways to do that, of course, is through sexual pleasure. Uh, I talk about masturbation and vibrators and all like the toys and things that you can, that you might uh, think about embodying. Um, these are really, really important. Not only, I mean, we can talk about all the, bo- like all the boring stuff about like it, ha- it improves your heart rate, improves your oxygen saturation, your blood pressure goes down, your sympathetic dominance, te- like you tend to balance out the nervous system between the parasympathetic and sympathetic firing, the activation in the motor cortex, like all of these great things happen when we orgasm, the release of oxytocin and dopamine and serotonin and all the things. Okay. Um, but from a, if we're talking about it just from a human experience perspective, uh, very, very important, but there are, you know, to your point, there are other ways to experience pleasure. So for me, for example, one of the things that gives me a lot of pleasure is my evening routine. Like I like Mm. to like double cleanse, you know, like taking off all my makeup and then I put on my oils and I do my little gua sha little thing on my face. And, you know, it's like probably 10 minutes maybe in total, but I feel, I just feel like I have my life together (laughs) when I I do it. And I feel so happy and in a way proud of myself. The other thing that I actually love doing is I always like to make sure that my nails are done. So just, you know, might just be a quick little file, a little color, you know, those things give me a lot of, a lot of pleasure. And there's not, again, there's not a high barrier to entry for that. You know, right now uh, where I live uh, in Toronto, Canada, it's fall. So the colors are just like spectacular. So going for a, a walk and just looking at the trees that were once green and now, you know, beautiful, uh, you know, burnt oranges and yellows. And it's, it's just, it's lovely. So those are, you know, a couple of different ways that you might uh, think about bringing joy uh, and pleasure Uh, into your daily life. And it can be with someone, you know, if you have a partner, you can go for a walk with your partner. Uh, You know, if if there's a sexual relationship, of course, that can be shared between you two. Um, But having a, um, having a, having a stated and deliberate plan for bringing pleasure into your life is, is really important. And a lot of women are like, okay, I like, I get it, but I have like the soccer thing in the evening and I got to cook and I got to clean and I got to get, do my career thing and all that. So one of the things I'll have women start off by doing just as an actionable item for your audience is like create a desire list. Mm. Like, what is it that you want? Like, we don't even, we don't even think about that. We don't even think like, what do you want? Like, what do you want to do? You want to, is it like, do you want to, 
like travel? Is it that you want to learn how to take photography? Is, you know, I, I remember um, my partner and I, we went to a, um, a painting class one evening where I took like a, just like an image and I was drawing it on, on a, on a canvas. It was so pleasurable. Yeah. It was such a, it was like, oh my gosh, I just have all of this time to focus on drawing this image. It was beautiful. So th like, think about what are some of the things that you desire? It could be experiential, mm -hmm. right? So like going to a pottery class or a painting class, it could be material. Like I really would love this kind of look in my bedroom, yeah. you know? And so maybe I'll buy a couple of pillows or, you know, toys or, you know, whatever it is for, to make that bedroom like a sanctuary to me. Um, and write them down and it'll, it's interesting, you know, as you start to write them down and maybe you have a pleasure practice or a manifestation practice uh, to kind of call them in, it will be, it's interesting to kind of go back to them and say, oh yeah, I did like, these are all the things that I have now, or I did those things or, you know, so I, I think that that's a, a good, good way to start if you're sort of lost in the, you know, where to start with pleasure. It's one of my favorite videos. If you're listening and you haven't checked it out is Dr. Stephanie Estimo with Jim Quick talking about the male and female brain. Right. And in there you say that sex is actually more important for women than it is for men. Agreed. And I, I think that so many women probably shocked to hear that because mm -hmm. typically you think of men being more sex obsessed, but can you get into that? Yeah, absolutely. So to, when we think about, um, sexuality and like some of the benefits of sex. So I've already kind of mentioned a few of them, right? So like when we're in a regular or you're orgasming, I should say regularly, it's all those things that I talked about, all of those vitals where we see heart rate and respiratory rate and oxygen saturation and blood pressure, all these things get better. Um, now it is true that men have more testosterone than women do. Um, so of course, um, they're, receptivity to and thinking about sex because you know testosterone is very famous for libido so men have more testosterone so they're going to have you know let's say a baseline a higher uh, libido than women however uh, women are very much we very much take cues from our environment um, and our um, when we think about our dopamine and our serotonin levels, the, what we, uh, what I was explaining in that video with Jim is that women need, uh, more typically more encouragement along the way. So for a guy, you might say to him, um, and I noticed this when I was in, in clinical practice, let's say I had a guy come in and he had some issue like a shoulder issue or whatever. I would say, okay, you need to do this. And we're going to reevaluate you in a month. And he would just go off and do the rehab exercises. He would do the thing and he would come back after the month. We'd retest him and I'd be like, great, great job. Okay, so this is the next piece. And then he'd go and he'd do it and come back. So he's, men are typically more internally motivated, we'll say, okay? For a woman, let's say with the same shoulder injury, I couldn't just say to her, you need to do these four exercises, you know, four times a week, come back and see me in a month. I would need to check in with her every couple of days to give her encouragement, to see how she's doing, to see how she's feeling. Partly again, because men have that more steady state. They're kind of the same all the time. Women have these ebbs and flows in their mood and their energy and their motivation as a function of their menstrual cycle. So I found very, you know, very early on in practice that I needed to give my women more attention. Mm. Um, and so this is what I was getting at with this men need, tw women need twice as much sex 
as men because we also are going to derive so much positive reinforcement from our partners more so than our male counterparts right so we are going to we are going to derive so much more positive reinforcement from you know the, all the things that sex entails right the intimacy the vulnerability the pleasure uh, and we're going to be of course and this is assuming that you are in a healthy uh, relationship that there's uh, that you feel supported and nurtured and loved um, but you are going to if you feel supported and you're getting that positive reinforcement from your partner you are going to come back for more and mm. more and more so like you know the, sort of the tongue-in-cheek there is like you're gonna chase the sex like the animal that you are because you are gonna want that dopamine hit you are gonna want that feeling those feelings of serotonin those like inter like feeling like gosh like i'm really i feel so loved i'm getting this positive reinforcement from my environment in this case my partner is giving me this positive reinforcement so um i do think that it's important for women to really recognize you know we always hear these tropes like oh chocolate you know i prefer chocolate over sex and it's like well what you're getting from chocolate is a transient baseline increase in dopamine which is great but you know depending on how quickly you clear the dopamine from the receptor like we could be talking like minutes like you're gonna get a little bump for like a couple of minutes you know some people a little slower so it's maybe it's a little longer than that but when you have a you know a relationship with someone and you're in pursuit like you're making out and you know all of that so you're going to get this longer elevated increase in dopamine actually about two times above baseline and then if there's orgasm or there's climax you're also going to get the benefit of oxytocin chocolate doesn't do that by the mm. way so chocolate doesn't do the oxytocin bit so the oxytocin is kind of like the love it's called the love hormone right the bonding hormone we see high levels of oxytocin released uh, post-climax men and women you'll also see high oxytocin like in like parent-child relationships you know that kind of thing so oxytocin also very important in both the dopaminergic and the serotonergic systems we used to only think that it was like serotonin and of course it is involved in, in serotonin but again in that pursuit like when i was saying you're going to chase the sex like the animal that you are the more oxytocin you release post-climax the more likely you are to actually go and repeat those behaviors again so you can get that neurochemical soup that's being released from the activity of you know making love or you know being with your partner i love this i feel like we can go even deeper into this for a whole nother podcast session but yeah. i want to transition over to another important topic you know in addition to sex you mentioned earlier in the interview the importance of resistance training and strength training for women so can you talk more about how that really impacts our brain body and hormones one of my favorite topics for sure i think when we're thinking about aging well not necessarily anti-aging because I don't, you can't really not age. You're, all of us are aging every single second, right? But if you want to age well, uh, I think that part of your strategy needs to include resistance training. So my background is in, you know, I'm a doctor of chiropractic by training. So like the neuromusculoskeletal system is where I love to nerd out. And certainly when we are training um, just from a like just a neurophysiological perspective, there's like Im there's like um, information coming from the muscle, let's say, coming back up to the brain in the motor cortex, right? And then and then we have like uh, um, 
I'm sure, sorry, I should say like there's sensory information coming up and then there's motor information coming down. So we're in, we are stimulating the front part of the brain. It's called the frontal lobe. The motor cortex, of course, is part of the frontal lobe. And then right in front of the uh, motor cortex is an area called the prefrontal cortex. Um, so every time that you are working out, uh, you are resistance training or generally moving your body, but you know, we're going to focus on a resistance training for a moment. Um, you are going to be increasing the activity to the frontal lobe, which is an important, you know, from a brain based perspective, the frontal lobe is basically your parent. It's the parent part of your brain. It's the part that develops last. It's involved in in inhibiting lower brain centers. So, you know, if you've ever heard of like the limbic system, you know, which is kind of uh, a bit more, you know, it's often called like the lizard brain maybe, or like more of a primitive, um, primitive part of the brain, the frontal lobe in its strength uh, works to inhibit some of these lower brain centers. So it keeps you sort of, it's, it's, it's part of your, it's a direct line into your humanity. It's what keeps us human. It's what keeps us thinking. Mm-hmm. Often, uh, you know, if you've ever uh, seen someone with road rage, let's say, or, you know, uh, or if you've ever uh, yelled at your kids or yelled at your partner or just lost your temper, uh, what has happened in that moment is your frontal lobe is actually not working to inhibit your limbic system. And you are getting very primal, maybe very defensive, maybe very fearful. And we have this sort of limbic system that takes over. So uh, strengthening the frontal lobe, always a good idea, right? Is a direct, as I mentioned, your frontal lobe is a direct connection to your humanity. Uh, keeps us human. It allows us to empathize with others. So this is like a whole other rabbit hole that I won't go down. But in lieu of like the pandemic and the politics and the left versus right and the anti versus pro and the this versus that, um, often what we're seeing there is a divide. Well, there's a divide and conquer there, right? It's like you're either with us or you're against us. Uh, when we are in our frontal lobe, you can say, okay, Yasmin, I disagree with you, but tell me more. Mm. Let me understand a little bit about where you're coming from, right? Like if you're a Republican, let me understand where this Democrat's coming from. If you're pro-life, let me understand where this pro-choice person is coming from, et cetera. Not to say that I agree with any of those, uh, any of those stances, but I do think that there has been a lot of like othering Mm-hmm. that has happened uh, with the pandemic. You're either a pro-masker or you're an anti-masker. You're a pro-vaccine or you're an anti-vaccine. And I think that when you uh, are not using your frontal lobe, it can be very easy. Or your frontal lobe is not as strong as it should be, we'll say. Uh, your so ability- are 90% of people walking around with a messed up frontal lobe? <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it can seem like that. It can, it can seem like that, especially if you're just on Instagram or Twitter, which are like the worst neighborhoods on the planet really to be in. Um, I, I do think that um, under, I think what has been lost and I, and I understand why uh, is the ability to see the person across the aisle um, and say like, I, I disagree with you and you can still come to dinner. <laughs> you know, you, you don't have to, you can still come to Thanksgiving dinner. Like, even though we, you know, we don't agree. Uh, I think that there has been a little bit of that that has been lost. And I understand why people are scared, right? I mean, this is a whole other conversation, but like, you know, people are scared. Like when, I mean, I remember when the pandemic started, I was keeping my, I, my Amazon packages stayed on the porch for two. I was like, I don't know. It's supposed to live on 
Is forgot about all that. Cardboard? <laughs> yeah. Like I had when my partner, he would go out shopping. And when he came home, I was like, take all your clothes yeah. off mm -hmm. right up the stairs. We've got to wash these clothes. You've been out, you know, like, you know, we didn't know. Right. So people were very, very scared. Um, so, so back to resistance training and why it helps your frontal lobe. Uh, I can get off on, on these, uh, on these little tangents. So I appreciate you allowing me to, um, um, to do so but it helps with your humanity, helps with your empathy, helps with your inhibition. It also, you know, from a neuro, like from a, uh, you know, chemical perspective also helps your brain grow. Uh, so there is kind of this miracle grow uh, that we like to call uh, BDNF, uh, which is just short form for brain derived neurotrophic factor. There are other uh, growth factors as well. They're activated when you are um, training that help to keep you know, if there's a, you know, I always joke, like if there's one organ you want, like big, you know, and juicy over the course of your life, it's your brain, right? We want the brain to grow, not shrink, right? Or at least maintain, but ideally, you know, kind of grow as, as we get older, because the natural inclination is for it, for us to, for things to decline and for things to, uh, to atrophy with, with time. So that's the brain benefits in terms of, of course, the body benefits you're, you know, putting, when you put on lean muscle mass, as we age, again, things kind of get worse. If you're not working on it, we can become more insulin resistant and we do become more insulin resistant as we age. So it's important, um, when you're training and you're putting on lean muscle mass, it allows the uh, allows your body as a whole, because your skeletal muscle, there's a lot of skeletal muscle, uh, allows for you to be a better glucose disposal agent. You can get rid of mm. the glucose. Let's say, uh, if you've exogenously had like whatever proteins and carbohydrates and whatever, or carbohydrates like will directly, you know, uh, their constituents are glucose. Your muscles can, uh, in like help to dispose of that excess glucose so that your pancreas is not working as hard and like the output of insulin is not as high. Right. So that's really important, um, to consider as well from like a metabolic perspective, um, from an immune perspective, of course, every time you contract a muscle, we are releasing something called a myokine, um, which is going to help to, uh, tamper down or clamp down on some of these pro-inflammatory pathways, which can become deranged as well as we age. Mm -hmm. um, and then finally, I'll say again, um, I, I like to think about this, and this is like, I've taken a bit of a chapter from Peter Atia here. Uh, you know, he talks about the, um, what does he call them? Like the centenarian Olympics. Olympics. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, the centenarian Olympics, where he wants to be like 100 and, be, and like he's like defined all these categories that he wants to be able to do. I'm like, oh, that's a really good idea. I don't want to compete in an Olympics, you know, a centenarian, but I want to be the favorite grandmother. Like, <laughs> I definitely want, like, I want, I want to be, I hope that I'll be blessed to be a grandmother one day. And that means that I need to be able to tell my sons and, you know, their partners you guys go to work today. Don't worry about it. Like it's me and the baby today. Like I, I need to be able to pick the baby up out of a crib. I need to be able to put them in a car seat. I need to be able to take them to the playground. I need to be, get on the floor and play with them and be able to get up without using my hands or like minimal use of my hands. I need to be flexible and pliable and mobile and strong. Um, so I think about resistance training, not only to make you look mm. good now. I mean, from a vein, if you're, if it's, if I cannot appeal to your longevity, you know, mind, I will appeal to your aesthetic, uh, <laughs> like you're going to look good, but also, uh, you know, when you are 80, you know, 70, 80, 90, I don't think that people really appreciate 
how quickly things can decline mm. in those years if we're not actively doing something right now, let's say in our 30s, 40s, and 50s. Because if you don't really do anything in your 30s, like not much happens, mm-hmm. right? Maybe we start to notice it a little bit more in our 40s as we're moving into perimenopause. And then we really start to notice things 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. So it's, you know, I, I like to start now uh, for that kind of long-term view on like being the favorite grandmother. I love that. I've never been so motivated to c- continue my strength training after listening to you, Stephanie. Honestly, I'm going to get that into place. So I'm also curious with women's hormones changing throughout the month, how do you really adjust for training leading up to and during your cycle? Sure. Yeah. Um, so generally the overall goal, whenever you're training is, um, a concept called progressive overload, meaning that you are over the course of time, not just in a month, but over the course of, you know, let's say six months, nine months, a year, a decade, you are getting stronger with time. Now for a woman, we have to think about, uh, the different hormonal environments that she might be training in. So not all cycles are the same, right? So, you know, your cycle might be 32 days, mine might be 27, or you have a perimenopausal woman where her cycles maybe are all over the place. But generally what we want to be thinking about is in uh, our bleed week, so the week uh, where we are uh, actively shedding that endometrial lining, uh, depending on you know how bad day one, like some women are like, I just can't do anything on day one, like the cramping, the lethargy, the, you know, So uh, some gentle, usually if that's the case, like some gentle, like that neat, right? So like in just increasing a lot of walking, I actually typically do that. Like first day of my period, I actually just like, I find that that rocking of the sacrum, like long walks really, really help. Um, So I I love to go for long walks kind of day one. I typically take a day off of, of training that day. Um, but as you kind of get into the, you know, of the flow, you know, into the sort of flow, let's say, pun intended, of your, uh, of your period, uh, you might think about starting to lift like moderate weights. So uh, moderate is a subjective term, like moderate for me is going to be different for uh, for Yasmin, it's going to be different for every, like all the like all of us on this call, it might be different, right? Uh, the way that I would define moderate is that you are able to lift somewhere between like your, your set, let's say, let's say you're doing squats. Uh, you're going to be able to punch out somewhere between eight and 12 repetitions. And by the end, let's say that, tw- if it, let's say it's 12. So at the end of that 12th rep, you have like, z- like one, t- if I had, if I said I, you have to do one more, you could do one more, but not much more than that. Mm-hmm. Right, maybe up to a maximum of if I said, okay, we've done 12, like, can you do three more? You should be able to do like one, somewhere between one and three more. Or if I said, rate this out of 10, you might say, well, that's like a nine, right? So the weight needs to be heavy enough that you can execute with perfect form because we don't want to injure, we don't want to injure ourselves. And injuries often happen in those last three reps when we're pushing and our egos are getting in the way. So perfect form or close to perfect as you can. Um, and if I said to you, how many more reps do you have in reserve, right? This is called RIR reps in reserve. You might say one to three, like I have three more left in me max, one more left in me max. So you'll have to play a little bit like on the squat rack or, you know, whatever exercise you're doing to figure out what that weight is for you. Um, and then over time you want that weight to get, it should feel subjectively lighter, meaning that your reps in reserve are, is going to increase 
Or if I said rated at a 10, your rate of perceived, exer- uh, perceived exertion, which is your RPE, you might say, oh, you know, it used to be a nine, but now it's like, it's kind of like a seven. So that would be a time for you to kind of bump up the weight. Maybe we want to make it a little harder, right? So that's a moderate, that would be how I would define moderate. So moderate in bleed week, okay? In, uh, in your pre-ovulatory week or week two of your cycle, we have a slightly different hormonal uh, environment here, obviously, than we do in our bleed week. Uh, we see est- like there's two main events that happen hormonally here. We see estradiol uh, peak, right? So estradiol will go, uh, it, reaches, actually, it reaches its like apex of the entire cycle here. So I've seen, uh, you know, depends on the woman, but I've seen uh, it kind of shoot up to like 400. I've, I've seen 600 picograms per milliliter. Like it, it goes up really, really high stays elevated for about 50 hours or so, and then it comes back down. We also see a peak in testosterone here. So here is the week where like, you know, you have a partner or you don't have a partner and you're just going to be just a little bit, you know, you're going to be more receptive to sex. You're going to be more interested in sex. Uh, this is just in, you know, I always joke and say, this is the week where I'm chasing Giovanni, like my partner's <laughs> name is Giovanni. I, you know, I'm chasing Gio like around the kitchen table. I'm like, where, like, where are you? Like, it's, you know, it's time to go. So, you know, testosterone is going to um, peak this week. From a uh, training perspective, uh, I actually like to uh, profit, really, from that peak in, in both uh, these two anabolic uh, hormones, right? Like estradiol is an anabolic hormone, so is testosterone. So I like a woman uh, to keep actually the same exercises. So she might, be, she might be training four times a week, two uppers, two lowers, and it's the exact same moves but she's changing the rep range. So maybe last week she was doing 12 and now maybe this week she's doing seven, right? So she's making the weight heavier, mm-hmm. like much heavier. Same question. How many, if you did seven, how many reps in reserve do you have left? Like how many, like maybe one more or at a 10, what is this at zero to 10? And she, she should say like, this is an eight or a nine. So the weight has to get significantly higher there. So there's going to be more mechanical, like you're going to have more uh, tension, like you're going to have more load and more mechanical tension, probably more ripping of the muscle fiber, but that's good. That's what we, that's how muscles grow. We break them down and then the body repairs them and builds them back up. Um, Post ovulation. So ovulation is kind of somewhere for most women around 14 to six, like day 14 or day 16, kind of uh, some at the midpoint of, of their cycle. Uh, some women can feel it. Uh, so some women can actually feel that release of the egg from the follicle. Uh, some women experience cramping. Um, it's, we call it middle smirch, which is the German words for middle, middle and smirch pain. Um, and there can be some, some cramping, which is normal. And then we move from ovulation into the luteal phase. So week three, for someone who is training, when we actually look at the hormonal environment, it looks very similar to week one. We see low estrogen in the beginning, and then it kind of, it kind of rises again. Um, so I, I like to return her same program, just back to that moderate rep range. And then in week four, which is the week before her cycle, uh, be- sorry, the week before she starts to bleed, uh, this is probably the week for most women if they're going to experience you know, bloating, uh, headaches, irritability, sleeplessness, like kind of those, that myriad of that cluster, that constellation of PMS 
like premenstrual syndrome, like those symptoms, this is probably when she's going to experience them the most. So what I like to do is actually game, game the system a little bit. And she's probably not like kind of in the mood to lift really, really heavy. Um, she might be able to do moderate weights, which is great. I actually like uh, in week four, again, same program, but I like the reps to change. So I like the reps to actually be higher. So somewhere between 15, you know, 15 reps, 20 reps, even up to 30 reps. Um, again, with those same questions, like reps in reserve, one to three out of 10, you should be an eight or above. Okay. All of these different ways of training. Okay. So whether it's eight to 12, five to seven, you know, 15 to 30, as long as you're approaching failure, you're not at failure, muscle failure, but you're approaching muscle failure or like complete muscle fatigue, you will grow your muscles. So there's like, I know this is a terrible saying, but there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat, right? There's a lot, it's like a terrible saying, but (laughs) it's like, there's a lot of different ways to, to achieve hypertrophy. And I like this cadence because it honors the different, um, you know, the different hormonal milieu that a woman is bathing in that particular week. And we're still moving towards that hypertrophy of the muscle. And so there's a couple of different, um, you know, things that I, I talk about in the book, but that would be one of them. Um, I would say approaching muscle fatigue, irrespective of the, of the reps, very, very important. And then a minimum of like 10 sets per week per muscle group, right? So if you want to, let's say, grow your glutes, I, I don't think 10 is enough, but like it has to be a minimum of 10 per week, uh, of any given like glute building exercise, squats, lunges, hip thrusters, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. I'll see you guys later. I'm going to go to the gym now. (laughs) I know I'm like 10 for each muscle group. (laughs) Well, that's the beauty of compound movements. Okay. So that's the other thing I want to mention is, you know, whenever you're thinking about exercise design. So if you're thinking, okay, like I got to work out, she just said 10 per muscle group. Like how many muscle groups do we have? Oh my God, I'm going to be in the gym forever. So compound movements are movements like a squat or a lunge that are like multi-joint, right? So like a squat, for example, we're seeing hip flexion, we're seeing knee flexion, we're seeing tibial torsion, we're seeing ankle dorsiflexion, like we're seeing many joints, uh, you know, and many muscles recruited for that one particular exercise. So the more compound movements, let's say squats and lunges, uh, I'd include deadlifts, um, in that, uh, in that category, hip thrusts, and we're just talking about the lower body. So I'm just throwing out a couple lower body, um, examples. These are all examples of, you know, the, if we think about the muscles that are worked in a squat, right, it's going to be the erector spinae group. It's going to be the tensor fascia lata. It's going to be the glute max, min and medius. It's going to be hamstrings. It's going to be like all of them. There's so many muscles that are worked. So you don't need to, uh, you know, spend hours and hours and hours and days and days and days in the gym, especially if your workout design has a lot of compound movements to them. So we're talking essentially, like you, I think you said twice a week, upper twice a week lower, or did I just make that up? <laughs> no, no. I, I said four times. I think ideally, or we'll say this minimum viable product is three times a week. Like if you're in the gym thrice weekly, you're doing really well. And that can be an upper body, a lower body and a full body. You're going to get the amount of benefit. If you're not doing any, or maybe you're training once, let's say and everything else is cardio. If you move 
if you slightly like change the constitution of the way that you're moving from let's say three times like maybe it's one time of training and you move that up to three the benefits that you're going to see are astounding now mm. ideally you want to you know that's kind of like min like that's your mvp that's your minimum viable thing that you want to be punching out ideally i would say four is better uh four is better than three uh, and in some cases, five is better than four. Um, but I would, I, I don't work out more or I don't, I don't often prescribe more than five resistance training days per week because, uh, we also need to consider recovery. Um, and this right. is actually when we're talking about muscle growth, this is actually where all the magic happens, right? It's the days off, uh, where the muscles grow, like the days in the gym are when we are breaking down those muscle groups. And then when we take a break from them, that's all that recovery that's happening is where those muscles hypertrophy. So you do have to consider, uh, and honor, uh, your body's need for rest and recovery as well. Yasmin and I have talked to a few women lately who are interested in BIA and what they tell us is typically the same thing. I know something is up. My hair isn't the same. I'm gaining weight. My period's starting to become a little bit all over the place. I'm not sleeping as well. They're just really noticing all of these changes and sometimes it feels very suddenly. Yeah. So my question is, are those changes inevitable? In perimenopause, to your point, a lot of women do notice some of these changes that you're describing, like all of a sudden they can't sleep and all of a sudden they are gaining weight and all of a sudden their hair is falling out and all of a sudden, you know, it seems like some of these changes do happen overnight. Um, I would argue um, that they don't happen overnight, but they're sort of subclinical. Like things have been sort of happening on a subclinical, like non-detect, like they haven't been enough yet for you to be able to figure out, hey, something's happening, uh, which is why the nutrition and the resistance training piece, like mm. the best time to start resisting resistance training was 10 years ago. And the second best time is today, right? So if you're not doing it, just start. Um, so I say, I would say that, um, for some women, it is really a roller coaster, but we can attenuate the severity, uh, the and the duration, and even the, the frequency of the symptoms by some of the things that we've been talking about. So the resistance training being one of them. Um, I would also say your nutrition is going to be really important. A lot of times we uh, chalk up things like hot flashes, let's say to, you know, the sort of ever-changing levels in estrogen. And that's true. Estrogen does regulate, uh, you know, vasoconstriction and, and vasodilation. So wild swings in, in estradiol certainly can uh, cause a, you know, wild uh, dilation or constriction, let's say, uh, in, the, in the arterial wall. And uh, we also want to consider other things like liver health and microbiome health as well. Um, the liver primarily because it is the center for detoxification. And I don't mean like the master cleanse, cayenne pepper, lemon, maple syrup, whatever that is. Right. Like, I don't mean like a detox that you see kind of celebrities like talking. I mean like actual, there's like an actual process of detoxification, um, where your liver is involved. Like it will take toxins and it will make them more water soluble so that we can throw them like out to the amongtories or we can, we can get rid of them. Right. Um, 
and there's also, you know, the metabolism, like your liver is also involved in the metabolism of many of your sex hormones, estrogen being one of them. So if you're, um, let's say, uh, your genetic pl- blueprint, let's say, is um, like mine. I'll tell you, like, you know, for me, my tendency, the way that my body likes to process estrogen is suboptimal. So mm. there's a couple of different phases of detox without boring everybody. I favor one of my estrogen metabolites or my down, like, you know, when you break estrogen up, um, one of the metabolites that I like to produce uh, is actually a DNA damaging, quinone inducing, kind of like really bad form of estrogen that continues to activate. Uh, it's, it's called a 4-OH uh, estrone or estradiol, depending on the estrogen that you're talking about. Um, and what it does when you produce a lot of this 4-OH is you will notice clinically things like uh, really like tender breasts mm-hmm. around, uh, you know, around menstruation or right, right, very right prior to bleed week, right? Because the, uh, it's a, it's a receptor, uh, like the, this 4-OH, uh, metabolite will continue to retain its ability to activate estrogen receptors. And we don't want that, right? We want estrogen. We want to use estrogen and then lose estrogen. We don't want estrogen hanging around. We don't want estrogen receptors being activated. No. So, in my case, I need to make sure that I'm having a lot of green leafy vegetables, a lot of uh, diindole meth, like uh, um, compounds, like that are found in green leafy vegetables that contain something called DIM, or I can yeah. or supplement with them, uh, so that I can kind of jump pathways. I can move to this like deleterious pathway to like a more optimized. Uh, pathway. So for women in perimenopause, that would also be an area of exploration that I would be interested in. Like, what is their genetic uh, sort of blueprint? Not that it's their destiny, mm-hmm. but just what is the what's the blueprint? What's the manual that they have? Right? What is their what's the like? My manual is like make the bad estrogen, right? So, but I can then you know that's at the gene level, and then at the epigenetic level, I can say, okay, I know I make the bad estrogen, so I'm going to have lots of greens so that I can actually modify the activity of those genes, right? So liver would be uh, one of them, like one of the areas I would look at. I would also be looking at uh, health and integrity of the uh, microbiome, uh, particularly a kind of subcategory, we'll say, uh, called the estrobilome, uh, which is basically the, um, you know, uh, bacteria in the gut that are involved in, um, estrogen metabolism. If you have too much of certain enzymes, beta glucuronidase is one of them. Uh, you can actually take estrogen that's been like slated for uh, elimination, deconjugate it, and it like kind of gets back into the, it kind of goes back into the system. So we want to make sure that there's this beta glucuronidase in particular tends to be a very uh, quite problematic for women as well. Because then if you have more estrogen coming back into the system when you should have eliminated it, mm-hmm. again, you're violating that golden rule of estrogen, which is like use it and then lose it, right? So we want to be looking at um, microbiome integrity. Uh, I mentioned skeletal uh, health already, mentioned cardiac uh, tissue already, but these these are some areas that I would be looking at uh, for a perimenopausal woman to help improve her symptoms. Mm-hmm. Now, can I look in my crystal ball and say, listen, if you do all of these things, like you're never going to feel any symptoms, like I wish I could. Um, for some way, it, it really, it, it really, it really depends. So, um, one thing to keep in mind for the women who are listening, who may be in perimenopause is first, there's a lot of things that you can do to reduce your experience or some of the negative experiences, let's say, 
um, of perimenopause. Um, and, you know, once you, you know, and this is a little bit beyond my, you know, this is beyond my, let's say, um, my prescribing ability and all that. But then I would, you know, once we sort of move to the limits of like nutrition and fitness and stress management, maybe then there's a conversation to be had around bioidenticals, right? Or hormone replacement therapy as well. Uh, and I'm, I, uh, I'm a fan of them. Like, I, I think that they're great. I think for some women, they can really be a lifesaver. And I think it's, you know, there's a lot of conversation around like longevity and like aging well, or even, you know, anti-aging. And it's like, well, how come we've poo-pooed all over hormone replacement therapy? And then we can get into the, well, maybe we won't today, but like the women's health initiative, worst, 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 <laughs> like I, the, the quality I mean, it's so sad because the amount of money that was put into this initiative um, was, it was so promising. We were so excited uh, that there's finally something just for women, right? And they just, they just mucked it up. Um, And you still see, so basically the Women's Health Initiative uh, concluded that hormone replacement therapy is going to lead to this increase in all adverse outcomes. heart attacks and breast cancer and all of the things, when you start to actually look at the data and you look at the subset of women that were included versus ones who were excluded, you start to see a lot of holes that come up in the way that they designed and implemented the study and then the way that they analyzed the results. But you still, unfortunately, uh, as a woman, if you go to your clinician today and you say, hey, I think I have some symptoms of low testosterone, or I think I have some, like, I think I might be in menopause and I'm like having these hot flashes and I just, like, they will, it is, if you have a clinician who sort of grew up when the WHI was released, then you are probably going to have to fight, if you mm-hmm. get it at all, a script um, for, for um, by a, a, a hormone replacement therapy, so... Yeah, we talk to a lot of women who are going through perimenopause and have been dealing with that. But just even the fundamentals that you talked about, we've seen women kind of shift their symptoms a little bit. Um, But I think just what you shared gives a lot of people hope that there are different avenues you can take depending on what you're going through. So we appreciate that. So I want to end this interview on really talking about maybe at a high level, your top three tips when it comes to supporting your hormones and having healthy hormones. Sure. I think, um, I think the first piece, um, and maybe this is a little bit meta, but I think it's important is just having reverence for the just vast intelligence and beauty and complexity, um, of the female form. I mean, just having reverence, you know, I was talking to some healthcare practitioners earlier today, and they were talking about how in week four, they all like week four of their cycle, they always notice that they're hungrier. And, you know, prior to working with me that they would just try to like white knuckle their way through it. Like they just were like, no, I'm, this is the calories I'm allowed. I'm not. And you know, I've, uh, my teaching is like week four, increase your damn calories. Right. So, uh, so these women, these practitioners have started doing that and they're like, it's so funny because the minute I get my period, I'm not hungry anymore. And it's like, isn't that such good information to have? Yeah. And isn't it so cool? Like, I know I sound like such a nerd, but isn't that <laughs> so cool that you could like eat a house and then you get your period and you're like, I don't care about food, you know? And like, I just think it's so beautiful. Um, so just having reverence and like honoring the, 
the temple, if you will, that I mean, this is the, this is the church, right? This is the, you know, the place that, of worship. Uh, so worshiping really, uh, the, the, you know, your body, I think is important. That would be my number one thing, uh, across all verticals. And then, you know, some of the strategies that we've talked about today, like eating whole foods, not calorically restricting forever. Like you, if you're on, if you've been having 1200 calories since you were 12, you know, maybe time to reevaluate. Maybe we want to talk about reverse dieting or some other ways that we can like give you more substrate so that you can actually perform in the areas of your life that you want to be performing in as a mother, in your career, having better sleep, all the things. Um, so I would say nutrition and then movement. Like we are, as much as we are kind of plugged in and connected to technology, like we are by design, designed to move and we need to constantly stimulate the physical our physical form um so resistance training in some capacity i think cardiovascular work is really important as well to a lesser degree in that is my bias um because you will get cardiovascular training with resistance training when you know when you're lifting weights there is a certain uh, amount of cardiovascular training that happens so you don't need to do as much of it um and then, you know, we were talking uh, before around finding like a joy practice or a pleasure mm-hmm. practice. I think that that's really, really great. Like finding little moments in your day yeah. that just put a little sparkle in your step. Um, it makes the to-do list pleasurable, you know, it makes, because the to-do list, just in case anyone hasn't told you yet, it never ends. Like once you clear it off, it's just going to fill up with other stuff. So it's like to-do list until the end of time. So if you are, if you can enjoy that process rather than just looking forward to the day that the to-do list is never going to exist, I think that, um, yeah, finding ways to infuse uh, joy into your everyday is really, really important and really special. I love it, Stephanie. Thank you for joining us today. This was so much fun. Always so good to see you. How is it? How are we finished already? I know. (laughs) We didn't even get through all our questions, right? No, we skipped a bunch too. All right. Well, I just love both of you, both what you're doing uh, at Bia and behind her empire. Like, I think you guys are just doing such a bang up job getting the message out there to uh, the women that need to hear it. So I am your biggest fans as well and uh, always will champion the work that you're doing too. Like exactly what you said right back at you. Yes. <laughs>